I got an email yesterday from the uh, member of our bishopric who was counting um, the money, and he says, man, have I stamped a lot of checks today because I turned in our, uh, our money for the first time temple patron fund, uh, and you guys are just over-the-top amazing. Uh, we are sending a check to the church for a little over $2,400. I can't even begin to imagine in Nigeria or Peru or somewhere how many people that would send to the temple for the first time. So I just, you touched me. And we, we counted that and I just kept looking at it and I just like, wow, just amazing. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Alright, that said, um, anything you hear this weekend? Any uh, mission farewells any, this weekend? Where, and where are we going? South Carolina. South Carolina. Alright, and you're leaving next Monday? Next Tuesday. Next Tuesday. Woo, yay! Congratulations. I heard you talk about this. So the families are involved in, in, the, in the teaching process and they get to feel the spirit of See, I, I thought I could see iPads coming because it just seems like it would have so much quick videos and all of those kinds of that. But I hadn't thought about the Skype asset aspect. That's really Wow. That, that's really cool. Okay. Anything else you heard this weekend? Faith promoting stories or with Yeah. Temple reopens tomorrow. Now we've been waiting for that. You always tell them the temple's a little closed. Everybody's just a little more restless. We lose our link. Okay? Alright. Well, anything else from this weekend? Yes, ma'am? We paid off our credit card. <laughs> Okay, maybe not. <laughs> but we're, we're, we're a step in the right direction. That's the right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, for the MCL.
Okay. It should be a great concert. Should be good. Okay. Is there anything else? All right. Uh, that said, then let's go ahead and uh, get started. I wanted to I wanted to start with this because it's going to lead in a little bit to some of what we're talking about. Um, yeah. Hmm? How many? Yeah, it is on. Thank you. How many remember the movie The Princess Bride? Okay. <laughs> well, there are two lines from the Princess Bride that I love. One that everyone is very familiar with is Channel. Okay, hold on. And uh, let's try it again. Well, there are two lines from The Princess Bride that I love. The one that everyone is very, very familiar with is, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. That's the popular one. But I heard another line from the movie about five, six years ago. I was in the gym working out, running through my lines, my songs for a concert. The, the TV was on, the movie was on the TV, but the sound was off because I was running the stuff. I went up to my hotel room to have my dinner before I went to the theater. My wife was there and she had the movie on. It was at the end of the movie. Right when Buttercup falls out the window into Andre's arms, and Robin falls into Andre's arms, the man in black Harry is sitting there asking me to be the Dread Pirate Roberts. And, and that 30-year-old man, and the 55, 58-year-old man, he's watching this, man watching the 30-some-year-old man, say a line that I said is in the movie, but I didn't really hear it as that young man. And for me, it's the most potent line in the whole film. And that line is, I have been in the revenge business so long. Now that he's over, I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. And I love that line. And I love it for all of us, because the purpose of revenge, in my personal opinion, completely worthless and pointless. And, and the purpose of existence is to embrace our fellow human being, not be revengeful, and um, turn our darkness into light. And so that's the line I love from the movie. How do you find that? <laughs> I think that's out, it's out on YouTube. If you were, if you were just to... If you were just to plug in, uh, uh, I think, Manny Patinkin, Princess Bride, I think you'd probably get it. So, Love that. Is it easy to get in the business of revenge? Is it easy to get in the business of grudges and to hold on to things and not let go? To the point that you don't even know what to do. It's so consuming that you don't know what to do with the rest of your life if you give it up. I, I just think that's, that's a beautiful sentiment. Um, now, I want to use that as a lead-in. But part of, our pro- part of our problem here is, uh, and it's not a problem, but it is a... So I keep having people ask me, we need a little bit more of a schedule where we're going. 
I don't know. <laughs> because in the process of the, the things that we talk about here in our discussions and how the Spirit directs, the beautiful thing about this, the structure of this class is that we have very little structure. We go as fast as the Spirit dictates we go. And so I keep running into stuff that I think is really pertinent that we need to be able to not leave out. And so we're going to go as fast as we go. It could take us two or three years to get to the Old Testament at this rate, um, which would be okay. Um, but let's go to uh, Genesis 50 for a sec. Because I think there's a very interesting moment here. Last time we talked about everything uh, that was involved in Joseph saving his brethren and they're bringing them uh, into Egypt to take care of them. And he finally reveals himself that I'm Joseph. And there's that great moment of reconciliation between Joseph and the brothers that sold him. And he said, it's okay, it's okay, God was in this, I was sold into Egypt to save your lives, I'm fine. Quit beating up on yourselves. Well, now we get the death of Jacob. And you get a sense that the brothers have been in the revenge business for so long. <laughs> that they don't even know what to do with themselves here, because listen to this. And Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, and they said, among themselves, um, Joseph will peradventure hate us, and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. Why wouldn't they believe Joseph when he says it's okay? Why are they choosing to hang on to this? Guilt. And guilt because he, he said God was in this, but... Why would they still have guilt? It's just like what we do. What if? Or fear that yeah. things are going to change. Right? Yeah. What if it, they could think that it was for the dad's sake that he was being forgiving? Right. Well, there's also the Machiavellian principle where you suspect people of what you would do yourself. <laughs> that makes sense? It is a lack of faith. Remember when, when uh, Nephi is talking about the uh, difference between him and his brothers. And he talks about that the grumble brothers are struggling a bit because, it says, they knew not the dealings of that God which had created them. If you don't have faith and you don't have an understanding of how forgiving God is, then you're going to have a hard time believing that forgiveness might be extended to you. Either in our experience with others or with the Lord forgiving our sins. Yeah. Well, there's also a lack of understanding that God can give you that forgiveness bigger than yourself. Because you say, I don't have that. Yeah. And if I can't forgive me, why would he forgive me? Or I don't get to have him forgive me till I've forgiven myself. Or I wouldn't be able to forgive him if he did that to me. So. Yeah. That, that's it. I think it's the lack, that lack of faith. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think I, I think you see it in the church when someone is mistreated by someone in the church and then they keep coming to church but the members are kind of a little standoffish because they're thinking, you know, 
he's, he or she's going to want to get their pound of pound back, you know. Because our natural man. That Satan will whisper it to them. Whoa, you know. Yeah. Watch out, yeah. You know? They were mistreated, so be cautious. Isn't that true? It can, well, we just do that because we don't completely understand the, the, this God we deal with. We, we tend to see it through, the, through our mortal, natural man eyes. And it limits us. So, uh, eight, uh, 16. They sent a message to Joseph saying, Thy father did command thee before he died, saying, uh, Forgive, I pray thee, the trespass of thy brethren. So, in other words, the only reason that Joseph forgave them was... Because dad said so. And they forget before dad ever shows up. They, in other words, they're doubting Joseph's honest sincerity when he says, I don't hold any grudges. God was in this. It's okay. It seems like they truly haven't repented. They haven't been to their own personal Gethsemane. Does that make sense? He says they haven't completed their own repentance because they haven't been to their own Gethsemane. So they're still feeling it. Their own repentance would finally eliminate that. And if you do that, you begin to believe that God is God and that Joseph is filled with the same love that he does. And so yeah, I, think, I, think, I believe that too. I think it's, a, it's endemic of their own lack of repentance. Okay? Yeah? Or they have repented but not forsook their sins. Maybe. maybe they're, you, you think maybe they haven't completely forsook because... Uh, they sold him into Egypt, and now they're watching him be the number two head cheese in Egypt, and going, "This is our younger brother." You know, uh, again, we remember when he was first started walking. You know, and and here he is, and he says, "Maybe, the, maybe there's still some jealousy there that they haven't been able to cleanse out of their systems." Great point. Okay, uh, you shall say to Joseph, "Forgive, I pray thee." Uh, 18, the brethren went and fell down before his face. Behold, we be thy servants. We think you still hate us, and now dad is gone, and we may be in trouble. So is it on one side to say, we think he still hates us, and on the other side, we've got to act humble before him. And Joseph, the Christ figure in this, is going to say, uh, Joseph said unto them, 19, fear not. For am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass to save much people alive. No, it really, he's got to reiterate. Again, the Lord was in this. I don't hold on to this. I'm in a power where I, I'm in a place where I could wipe you guys out, but I love you. That's what God does. Yeah. But that's what they heard him say before it is. He told him, he said, I'm going to be a sheep, and then all of you guys are going to be, they heard servants. They did. They did. And it's, to me, it's the teenager principle, which is, I'm going to have to tell them at least a hundred times, but they have to hear me at least once. Because they're not they're going to hear it, but they're not necessarily going to believe it because of their own issues. Okay? So we're trying to get out of the revenge business on this. Okay, now, 21, therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly to them. Okay? Now, so now we're, now we're going to get to the, the moment here. Uh, verse 24. 
And now we move ahead in time, and Joseph is about to die himself. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land. Now, here's, here's, this is one of those moments where the, the precious and plain truths have been taken out of the Bible and restored to us through modern revelation. There is an incredible number of verses and prophecies and things that exist between the word die and the word and that are restored to us through the Joseph Smith translation. Leave this out and you completely miss exactly what's going on here. Now, before I do this though, I want to bring up another issue. Um, we, we have heard over and over in the church about... Uh, it's a wicked and adulterous generation that seeks for a sign. And yet, we're also about to roll into the Christmas season where we keep hearing that the, the shepherds were told, okay, there is a Savior born to you, and this shall be a sign unto you. He'll be wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in manger. Okay? So, uh, where is the line, where's the dividing line between Sign seeking and sign following. On the one side, it sounds like signs are, if you're looking for signs, that's a sign that you're wicked, but at the same time, you're being told to watch for signs. Where's the dividing line, friend? It depends on whether you're seeking yet and need it or whether God is offering. Okay. What, what if you're seeking what He's offering? Yeah. The scriptures show over and over again that if you're asking for the sign, um, for the intent is, well, show me a sign, then you're the one who doesn't get it. If you show me a sign, therefore what? Then I'll, I'll believe. believe. But the people who believe already when the signs are given to them, they're ready to follow. Ah, Okay. I think it really has to do with the attitude. Is it a doubting attitude or a faith-based attitude? If you're like, well, I'm not going to believe you unless you show me, that's a doubting attitude. If you're saying, I have faith that I know that this is true, whether you show me a sign or not, but I would like to see these things if you will show them to me. That's a faithful attitude. So it has to do with our attitude and why why we're seeking that. And Because we do seek after Heavenly Father, because history history tends to say that if we have that attitude and you're given a sign, you're still not going to believe. We're going to see that with Pharaoh in just a second. Even if you have signs and miracles, you're still not going to buy it. Okay? So why have signs though in the first place? What are the purpose of signs? Well, I think you can see Yes. Does our faith need to be strengthened? Yes. Yeah. If you just have faith, should you need a sign? But it's nice? Okay. But what was said to the shepherds was, you'll know that that's the Savior because He will be in a manger. Right. That's true. But when they're up on the hill... I mean, there's a difference between chop off my arm and put it Yeah. And this is going to be, you're going to find the Savior in a manger. Yeah. Uh, one's, a, one's a signpost, and the other one's a, like, 
But shouldn't they, when they're up there on the hill, Migdal Eder, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, up there on that hill, and now they've been said, a Savior has been born to you, that should be enough, shouldn't it? They are. Our prophecy signs is the fulfillment of prophecy signs. Yes. Yes. Why do we have those? Shouldn't faith be enough? Well, it could be a concept of after you have been strengthened, you strengthen others. It is a strengthening process. Okay. So so let me say this differently. Do we need strengthening? Yes. Yes, we do. That's the nourishing of the seed that we're talking about. Yeah. But we need them. Right. What's your patriarchal blessing? It's a series of signs. It's a series of fulfillments of a prophecy. That is a very strengthening process. Yeah. And they kind of guide us. About that we're on the let us know that we're on the right track. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when when Cindy and I were driving in uh, Arkansas a couple of weeks ago and 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 we headed off across we're coming over the top of Mountain and Ozark. And I figured, I figured that I knew where I was going, and then I started to doubt. And I did, because it just did not look familiar. And it had been like 20 years since I'd been over the same road. And I doubted, and I doubted, and I doubted. And it's like, break out the GPS. Let's see where we are. And we're out of range. <laughs> Check out the phone. We're all oh, we're out of range. <laughs> And so we're just climbing through the mountains and we're stuck behind trucks and I'm going, this isn't true. We're in the wrong place. We need to turn around. We need to turn around. Oh, I can't believe it. We're wasting all this time. <laughs> and then we saw a sign. And I went, oh, okay, it is the right place. But aren't we, in the process of living in a mortal life, we have faith. We've been given a testimony of the light of Christ that needs to be nourished. And what prophecies and these things are little signs that nourish us. When, when we're down in uh, Mesoamerica, and it doesn't matter whether it's Costa Rica or Honduras or Guatemala or Belize, or, you plant a seed in that ground, it grows. It is so fertile. Everything grows down there. Everything. What does it take to grow a tomato plant in Texas? <laughs> what kind of nourishing does it take to get a tomato plant through a Texas summer? How much water? I have done this thing long time, you know. I'm like. And then I got to put on the, the pesticides. And then I got to put the rabbit wire over this so that the critters don't come get it. Okay, and you know, it has to be constantly nourished. Now, our, is our faith, because we live in a mortal world, is our faith more like the seed in Guatemala, Guatemala or is it more like a tomato plant in Texas? <laughs> it needs constant nourishment, right? That's why we go to church every week. Yeah. I find it interesting the word choice that Merlin uses in Hebrews um, 12.6 about that you have no witness until after the trial of your faith. And it's interesting that it says witness because it's not you don't see the sign or whatever. It's that you maybe don't understand it or recognize it. 
Yeah. You might not, you might walk right by it. Right. That's a good point. And it is a witness to the faith you already got. Right? Okay, so now, that, that, that is a backdrop. Now what we're about to get from Joseph, remember the, the brethren talking about their, their little brother Joseph. He, they call him Joseph the dreamer. He's a dreamer, he keeps having dreams. Gosh, your sheets of wheat just kept bowing down to mine. Isn't that stupid? <laughs> you know, he just keeps having dreams. Well, there is one last dream that Joseph will have before he dies, and it is of critical importance to us and who we are. And it is a sign, a prophecy to us to nourish our faith. And it would be a sign to these brethren that were doubting. Okay? So, it's in the inspired version. So let me hop over to there. I've got Genesis 50 as the, as the uh, cross-reference. And you go, well, we're already there. No, this is the inspired version of Genesis 50. Okay? So, let me hop over here. Now, listen real quick. Do, I don't want to make this too complicated, but man, is there meat in this few verses. And it's, it's just beautiful the way that it's done. Okay? Okay. Um, and Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. And that's where we got, okay, now we're going to depart from it. And go unto my fathers and go down to my grave with joy. The God of my father Jacob be with you to deliver you out of affliction in the days of your bondage. Okay, stop. Are, are the children of Israel at this moment of Joseph's birth in bondage? No. Life is good. They're in a great place. The Pharaoh loves Joseph. The Pharaoh loves his brethren. The Pharaoh was personal friends with Father Jacob. There's no bondage here. But what he's saying is there will be bondage. And this is in Exodus 1, one of the first things we're going to find is, and then there arose a, a king in Egypt that knew not Joseph. 350 years later. will deliver you out of your affliction in the days of your bondage, for the Lord hath visited me and have obtained a promise of the Lord. Now here come the promises. And watch, there are going to be two witnesses, two uh, signs, two prophets, and these two visions are going to meld together because they are really kind of one. Out of the fruit of my loins, meaning... Joseph, so it's going to be out of the loins of Ephraim and Manasseh, right? Who is? Okay. Out of the fruit of my loins, the Lord God will raise up a righteous branch out of my loins. There will be a righteous group here. Okay. And unto thee, meaning the brothers. Important distinction. Out of my line, there will be a righteous branch. Out of your lineage, brothers, Judah, Reuben, you guys. And unto thee, my father Jacob, hath named Israel, will come a prophet. Not the Messiah. This prophet shall deliver my people out of Egypt in the days of their bondage. 
So he's looking down to the corridors of time and he's saying, there will come a time you'll be in bondage. God will provide a prophet for you to bring you out of bondage. Which is the green and which is the purple? The, the purple is uh, kind of the, the, the beginning narrative. And so then I kind of, the purple-ish is the... Oh, it's not. And it's not going to stay really consistent. I tried to do that a little bit. But, um, but certainly the, the next one is really talking about uh, this guy. And, and this, this guy, this prophet that's going to come in the days of your bondage and he's going to deliver you. And it shall come to pass that they shall be scattered again. So what's he saying? You'll be in bondage. This prophet will come along and gather you. And then what will happen? You'll be scattered again. Line for line. Okay? Now, by the way, when does that happen? When are they scattered again? After Christ. 585 AD, beginning of the Book of Mormon. BC. First Nephi 1. Right after Babylon is going to come in and scatter. Okay? And they will be scattered to the winds. Alright? They'll be scattered. And at that moment, he says, a branch will be broken off and carried away to a far country. Who would that be? Nephi. See how beautiful this is? It just... So how different, are we going to see the difference between the Bible, Bible, and the inspired? I mean, I'm just this isn't even in the Bible. Not. There is a chunk of this that's actually in, in 2 Nephi 3. And you, yeah, if, it, if you're looking in your scriptures, if you've got the inspired version, you should be able to pull this up. We have this available to us. Uh, you can actually LDS.org. But any, any triple ought to have the... Um, the inspired version. This is an extended revelation. Okay, Okay. so follow what he's saying. Can it pass? They shall be scattered and a branch will be broken off. And they'll be carried away into a far country. Nevertheless, they will be remembered in the covenants of the Lord. Uh, and the Messiah come. He'll be made manifest unto them in the latter days. And they'll bring him out of darkness and out of captivity into freedom. Isn't that cool? So he's talking about, there'll be, so we're, at this point we're talking about the Nephites. Okay. Now, he's also going to say... Now, let me keep going. So here we go. Here's some more signs. A seer shall the Lord God raise up, who shall be a choice seer among the fruit of thy loins. Now, this we have where? 2 Nephi 3, right? Okay. A seer the Lord will rise up, and he shall be a choice seer under the fruit of my loins. Moses came to the loins, the, loins, the descendant of... Judah, or Levi, right? Comes from Levi. Where did this prophet's going to be a descendant of? Joseph. Through Ephraim. Choice seer, he'll write, and he shall be esteemed highly among the fruit of thy loins. Ooh, thy loins. Ooh. One day all of Israel will do this. And I will give unto commandment, he shall work, uh, work for the fruit of thy loins, his brethren. Uh, and he shall bring them to a knowledge. We're talking about, of course, Joseph Smith. Now we're getting, this is the prophet Joseph Smith. 
Uh, he shall bring them to a knowledge of the covenants which I made unto thy fathers. So the, the responsibility of Joseph is going to be to do what? Not just gather Israel, but you get Israel in, what do you need to tell them? The covenants. Which covenants? The Abrahamic covenants, right? Yeah. In other words, it'll be Joseph's job to gather Israel in for the very purpose of teaching them the covenants made to their fathers. That's the job. Missionary, that is the job, to gather Israel and remind them who they are and the covenants made to their fathers. By the way, that is the... Uh, on the night that Moroni actually visited Joseph Smith, he gives him an inkling of this. And it's in, sec it's in DNC 2. Let, let me just pop over for just a second to that. Remember on that night, how jo this Joseph would have had a hard time not completely understanding this, but I think we misunderstand this is a multi-layered prophecy. Really, it's very, very cool. He's going to say, I'll reveal unto you the priesthood by the hand of Elijah. Remember this is Moroni standing in the Smith house and he's preaching to him. And uh, he will plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to the fathers. Now, we tend to look at this and immediately we say, oh, this is talking about genealogy, right? So this is going to plant the promises that I will rescue my great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather and I will, I will have in my heart uh, the promises made to them that one day they'll have the gospel. Okay? Is that true? Yes, it is. But, that is the, but the deeper meaning comes is really closely aligned with that. Okay? And he shall plant in the hearts of the children. Which children? Children of Israel. Israel. Regardless of what tribe. The children of Israel. Plant in their heart. It will be Joseph's job to plant in their hearts all the promises made to the fathers. What fathers? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And, the heart, and because of that, the hearts of the children will... Turn to their fathers. Now, let me ask you this. Where, oh, where, oh, where, oh, where on the planet can we go to receive all the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? In the ceiling room of the temple. That's the goal. It's at that moment that we're now going to receive everything that has preceded that is to get the children of Israel into the sealing room so that they can receive all the blessings promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what it's about. And this prophet, he's talking about, as Joseph's looking through the corridor of time, this prophet will restore to those children living on the earth and scattered. There will be a time that they will be taught and remember and covenant and receive all the blessings promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob of continuous seed of land they'll inherit the earth, you know, and all the things that goes with that, and they will be like God. All those blessings, that's the moment. Is that cool? Okay.
Yeah, what's that? It's coming. It's coming. By the way, it probably wouldn't take long to turn the. Uh, you've ever been to the? I, I've never been to the BYU Jerusalem Center. Gosh, it seems like it wouldn't take long to yeah, turn that. They in. Tell you. I know they do. I know. They, they tell you what. They're not. They don't want to say that anywhere, any place, any time. That is not going to be Right, because the temple's down the hill and up on the next rise. The Jews will build the temple. Yes. Okay. All right. Now. Okay, so so I'm going to raise up this seer now, uh, and he'll do all these great things into the convincing. Them. Now look at 31. Now he's going to. How are you going to know who this prophet is? Here's this great prophet. He's going to do this work. We're going to be given some signs, some prophecies, how to recognize this prophet. One of them is, the, the fruit of thy loins, Judah, uh, shall write, and the loins of the, of, let's see, of thy loins, Joseph, the fruit of thy loins, Judah, shall write. So in other words, this prophet to come will, will one of the reasons we'll know he's him, because he has a book. Look for the guy with the book. Oh, Okay. And, and this book, uh, along with the Bible, will grow together to the confounding of false doctrines, laying down contentions, establishing peace among the fruit of thy loins. Wow. Somehow this will bring peace to the earth. Seems like it's just the opposite. Yeah, at the moment it, it does feel like it's opposite. And, and he's going to say it again, bringing them to the knowledge of their fathers in the last latter days, to the knowledge of the covenants of the Lord. Can I point out one last thing? I don't want to... I know I'm hitting you with a lot here. Let me just flip over real quickly to the title page with the Book of Mormon. Which is to show... This book is to show to the remnant of the house of Israel what? What great things the Lord hath done for their fathers. And who are their fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was the purpose of the book. And that they know the covenants of the Lord and that they're not cast off forever. Wow. That's the purpose of the book. And it also acts as a sign so you'll recognize the prophet because he's showing up with this book. Now, would it be helpful to know anything more about this prophet? Uh, by the way, that seer will I bless, and they that seek to destroy him shall be confounded. And the promise I give unto you, and for I will remember you from generation to generation. Oh, here comes another sign. Not only will he have a book, but his name shall be Joseph. And it shall be after the name of his father. Oh, that's a cool sign. So all we have to do, guys, is just find a Joseph named after his dad in the book. <laughs> then we'll know. Not because it will give us faith, but because it will confirm our faith, strengthen our faith, nourish our faith. Isn't that awesome?
Now, verse 34. Now, remember, there's two... There's two prophecies winding their way through here. And the Lord swore unto Joseph that he would preserve his seed forever, saying, I will raise up. Oh, here's another prophet. This one is Moses. Remember, he's saying this to his brethren. Keep that in mind. This isn't secret. He's saying this to Reuben and Levi and Judah and those guys. I will raise up Joseph, and how will we or raise up Moses? And his name will be Moses, and he'll have another distinctive aspect to it. I'll have a rod in his hand. Oh, well, that's cool. We just have to find a Moses with a rod. <laughs> and he shall gather together my people, and he shall lead them as a flock. And he should, and listen closely to that one. And he shall smite the waters of the Red Sea with his rod. Look for that guy. Because he's going to lead Israel out of bondage. Now, by the way, let, let me just point out. So we're going to, so what we have here is two prophets that he's describing. He's looking through the corridors of time and he's seeing one prophet named Moses with a rod. And he will do what? He will, he will take Israel and he will pull them literally out of Egypt. Out of bondage. Okay? Now, we have another prophet named Joseph. What's his job? To gather, scatter Israel in. Moses is to rescue literally Israel from bondage. Joseph's job is to gather Israel spiritually. And the two are the same. They are... They are Dual prophets here. One to take them out, one to bring back. Okay? You know, when you talk about signs, how different would history have been if these two elements were listed, they were given in Genesis? If they had been left in. Yeah, yeah I know. That would be really it would certainly make missionary work a lot easier, wouldn't it? Yeah. But find a Joseph, son of Joseph, with a book. That's why the plain and precious parts were taken out. So that they wouldn't be there. In the same way that we would say, wouldn't it be really helpful while we're wandering through the jungles of Belize to clear out some things that it says, welcome to uh, Zarahemla? <laughs> <laughs> oh! It could be. It could be Del Mirador for all we know. Another story. Yeah. And if Joseph is to bring Israel spiritually out of bondage, then we have to go on faith to learn this stuff. Because if we have the faith already, the Spirit is bore witness. Now this stuff to us is a testimony builder. It nourishes it nourishes the tomato plant in the heat of the Texas sun, right? Now I want let me take just a second. By the way, this this interesting that the, the image that he's going to give is Moses with a rod. Okay? Now But we're not getting very fast through it here fast. Okay. This is the land. They, they are going to live in the land of Egypt for 300 
80 years or so. I mean, they're there over 400 years. But all this stuff will begin to happen after they have been in Israel for, or in Egypt for 350 years. They have been there so long, they are, they are by lineage, Hebrews. But by nationality, they are Egyptians. Surrounded by Egypt. Surrounded by the religion of Egypt. Surrounded by the traditions of Egypt. There's a pharaoh. You look at the pharaoh, what do you see? What's he got in his hands? A rod. The shepherd's crook, and he has the grain flail. That's, that's the two. Okay? This is King Tut. Okay? This is what he's got. Now, why that? Well... Because he is the embodiment of the, the sun god Ra, and he is so that he's godlike, and, and as a god, he has two responsibilities. One, we have the, the, the uh, shepherd's crook, feeding symbolic of feeding and leading. Feeding and leading, the flock. Okay? And then he has the grain flail. What do you use a flail for? Yeah, you're gonna literally. This is the uh, take the wheat, cut it down, put it on the threshing floor. We're gonna talk a lot more about threshing floors when we talk about the establishment of Solomon's temple on a threshing floor. The symbolism on this is really, really awesome. Okay, but you're gonna take the wheat, you put it on the threshing floor, and you take the grain flail, and what do you do? Beat the stuffings out. Why? You're going to separate out the grain from the, grain from the chaff and the straw. So you beat the heck out of it. Okay? So sometimes it's the responsibility of a God to shepherd. And sometimes it's the responsibility of a God to provide a beating. <laughs> or at least recognize that he's going to be there. And that was that sense of having both. Sometimes when I talk to parents are not quite sure what how to set up discipline for kids, the discussion we have is, is this a stick kid or a carrot kid? <laughs> is this a kid that responds better to a carrot rewards, or is this a kid that responds better to discipline and punishment? Is he, try, is he better off trying to avoid, better off trying to, is this a stick or carrot kid? Well, here's the two dual purposes, that sometimes God runs us through trial and you see no witness until after the trial of your faith. Sometimes there are trials and sometimes there is a loving and it's the shepherd's crook. Now, that said though, how would you know in Egypt who the king is? What does he have? The rod. He has the crook. Follow the guy with the rod. Right? So that's the person they followed, the guy with the rod. And so that rod became symbolic. Whoever has the rod has the power. That's the shepherd's crook. Okay. Any of that tradition leak down through the centuries? That's from the French uh, crown jewels. What do you see? A rod. And, and oftentimes, the symbol of power has a second thing. Sometimes it's a rod, and it's also an orb of some type. 
Okay? Kind of like a sort of Laban and a Leahona. That make sense? Okay? Because that has been the symbol, that symbol has been carried down the road. Whoever has the rod or the sword is symbolic of the person in charge. Same thing, yeah. This one, I almost used the one, I have, a, I have a picture of Queen Elizabeth II, and she's holding her staff, and she's holding the, the royal orb kind of thing. It very, and so all, most of the European, most of the European kings believe that their power, we talked about it last week, their power is derived from God. And that's symbolic of... The cross on the Oh, you mean like that? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Whoever has the rod has the power. Isn't that other stories in the Old Testament? I can't remember the details of the Old Testament, but to teach it up with somebody thinking with her father's rod because that was the symbol of the household and he was mad at Jacob and Yeah, we're going to get there. It is interesting, though. But by the way, just as a side note, Little moment of speculation, but I really believe it's true. When, when the uh, why does the angel have to get after Laman and Lemuel when they're trying to get the plates in, in Jerusalem? What were they doing? What rod might they have had? The rod of Laban. The rod, no, the rod of. How would Laban know that they really have any kind of power? Good chance they could have had the rod of Levi. We have, I'm the oldest brother. I have the rod. Stop telling us what to do. Anyway. The sword of Laban then becomes the later thing. Now we don't have the rod of Lehi. Later on the sword will be whoever is the king has the sword of Laban and the Leahona. It's, it's symbolic of the king. Does that make sense? You see where it comes from? It all goes back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and in this case, Moses. And so there's, there's a, a photograph that was taken of uh, what Joseph got out of the... Uh, <laughs> Managed to get this out of the church archives. It wasn't. <laughs> um, we don't see President Monson standing up with the rod that comes from the pulpit. I like where you're thinking. Isn't isn't the rod symbolic of the priesthood? Yes. Right. So in other words, you say that we're gonna we're gonna follow the person with the rod, and these days we're trying. So what is wasn't uh, be thinking that way? That's perfect. President Monson would have a rod. In this, in this case, though, for us, it's going to be our own testimony, I think, that he is the prophet. We need to have a belief in him. But, but certainly that prophethood is there. We, we just don't have a physical manifestation of it that, like the shepherd's crook for the, for the pole. Yeah? I would be too that those symbols were signs when people couldn't read, they could see. 
they have that symbol. Yep. Yep. Yes. By the way, you'll also notice in the Book of Mormon, uh, 1 Nephi 8, if you're going to find the tree, what have you got to follow? The iron rod. The iron rod. Okay. It's there, and, you, and, that, and that rod becomes the Word of God. Follow the man's book, in a sense that was, I think that was also another manifestation of that rod. Okay. But didn't all shepherds have a shepherd's crook? Or a yeah. So, so just you don't follow just any person with a shepherd's. Right. You, this one in the case of Moses. The sheep followed him. Yeah. Followed him, but... <laughs> yeah. <sighs> okay. We're not even in Exodus one yet. <laughs> but by the way, you'll know who to follow because he will then show up with this rod. His name will be Moses. Moses meaning what? Drawn out. Yeah. Yeah. Different type of rod because you're using the rod. You're using that authoritative uh, authority in the wrong way. So spare that kind of dictatorship kind of thing. But I'm glad you're thinking that. Okay. Now. Uh, oh, by the way. Back here to 29, how else? Another sign. Another symbol. How will you know to follow this man? He shall, look at the bottom here in purple. He shall be called Moses, and by his name we will know that he's of thy house. Oh, and by the way, here's another little prophecy, just so you don't just follow any guy with a rod. This particular guy, uh, he will know he is of thy house, for he shall be nursed by... The king's daughter, and be called her son. How about that? Look for that guy. Okay, we got a half hour. All right. Thank you. All right. So now, if we're gonna. Exodus 1. <laughs> we made it through Genesis. And we left out a ton of stuff. Anyway. Okay, there rose up a new king. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump over a little bit of this here because there's two things in this first few chapters that I want to make sure that we get to today. Uh, so let, let, let's do a little time warp here. We'll go quickly. There rose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. This again is 350 years after the death of Joseph. That they have now been in Egypt. Where they're going to be a little bit worried um, about how many uh, Israelites there are. There's now so many of them. By the way, do we know about, about how many Israelites there might have been? How big a group are we talking about? How many men are going to come out of Egypt? Anybody just know just right off the top of your head? Because you just you keep this kind of worthless trivia floating around in your head. Okay, there's almost 700,000 men. 650,000 men. Now you throw in wives. Throw in kids. 
So you're probably somewhere between million and a half to million. Possible. But even then, it's a little. Even then, it's a lot. But it's much bigger because any numbers we're going to look at is just going to talk about the men. So you have to like triple that almost or quadruple it, whatever number we're looking at. Okay? Yeah, and they're, they're, yes. Keep thinking that way. <laughs> Alright, so now we're going to get, so then we get that, and then, by the way, so now they begin to be so many that, that uh, Pharaoh's going to do an interesting thing. He goes to the uh, midwives, and he says to them, um, I want you to kill all the male babies. Now, that's an odd commandment. If you're trying to build cities... Why wouldn't you kill the women instead of the men? They're the ones that keep popping out the babies. And we've got to have the men to actually have the muscles to build our pyramids. Why would they kill the men? True, that's a possibility. Afraid of a rebellion, so we've got to kill off the army. He knew a prophecy. The Midrash said that the, he, the traditions of the Hebrews says that the, the king, that, they, that some of the magicians that were in Pharaoh's court are Baal worshippers, and they are whispering in Pharaoh's ear and says there is a prophecy of a man who will, who will take Israel out of bondage. So in the same way we get Herod killing off the, the, the murder of the innocents, slaughter of the innocents, I think this is Pharaoh saying, we need the guys, but we've got to wipe these guys out because there is a prophecy concerning a man. Whether they knew the Moses name or not, I don't know. But they certainly, but that's what the Hebrew tradition is suggesting. And that, that rings true to me because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. <coughs> All right, now. So Moses is born. He's born a Levite. Uh, Mom can't hide him any longer. She puts him in the in the book. By the way, let, let me just say something. Especially if we go out, as we go into the rest of this week and next week, most of our history of this moment of time comes through the eyes of Cecil B. DeMille. <laughs> which is only like partly true. <laughs> there is so much more great stuff here than you have any idea. As we start reading through carefully, you're going to go, wow, I didn't know that was there. Where's your Brenner? And, and, and Farrell will always be your Brenner. <laughs> That's right. I, I, was, I, was telling, I was telling Cindy, I expect him to say, no, you know, the children of Israel cannot go, etc., etc. <laughs> Mix in a little King and I. <laughs> Throw in a little um, uh, Magnificent Seven on top of that. And we, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we deal in lead. <laughs> anyway. 
So, don't assume that we know this exactly because we've seen the movie over and over and over and over and over and over. And over. Uh, Born. Yep. So by the time he is raised and he takes them out of there, now we're over 400 years. Yeah. Yeah. Think about, I mean. 400 years since Joseph died? Yes. Yep. They were in bondage a long time. Oh, they weren't in bondage the entire time. You're right. It is at about the 350 mark that the king arises that knew not Joseph, and now the bondage really starts. They might have been paying them to work on pyramids, and now they're going to just put them under bondage. I suspect they've been busy all this time. Okay, the daughter of Pharaoh uh, came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. She saw the ark with flags. She sent her maid, her maid to fetch it. Now, I love the Hebrew tradition on this. Here's what the Hebrew tradition says. Uh, Pharaoh's daughter was a righteous woman and she grew tired of her dad's idolatry. And what she was doing at the river was washing and cleansing herself of her dad's idolatry. Didn't always go down every morning to wash in the Nile. But she's washing off the idolatry of her dad. And where's that Hebrew? Th that tradition? It's in their traditions. That's why I say. Uh, but here's what we here's what we do know. If you hop over to First Chronicles four eighteen, we get this little blurb. Uh, and his wife Jerudahaha bare Jared the father of Gideon and Heber the father of Soko and Jerudahaha. And these are the sons of Bithaniah, Bithiah, the daughter of Pharaoh who apparently went with Israel when they left. And joins herself with Israel. How about that? And 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 the Hebrew tradition is, is that these are the same this is the same daughter that drew Moses out of the water. Okay. okay. Now um, I want to show you just why you have to be careful with uh, Cecil B. DeMille. Look, look at verse 15. Joseph, or Moses kills the Egyptian that's beating on the Hebrew. Okay. Now, look at 15. When Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh, dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by the well. How long in the, in the movie does that take? About 45 minutes? By the time, you know, he's going to rise up, kill Moses, you know, they're going to cast him out, he's going to go across the plain, and he's going to get to the Midianites, and, you know, all that, okay? This is like one verse. And the, and the screenwriter had a great time filling in the gaps. <laughs> and the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and the oldest one was really smart, the others were really vain, and, no, that's not the <laughs> Okay, so, that said, um, Let's see. Exodus 3, Moses kept the, uh, the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, because he, uh, the priest of Midian, uh, he led the flock to the backside and came to the mountain of God. Uh, Moses, 
Moses, like Abraham, won't get his priesthood from his dad. You're going to get it through Jethro from another source. Okay? Um, and if I had time, I'd take you back. I could show you where he, the sec, Doctrine and Covenants has Moses' uh, priesthood lineage. And it goes back to a prophet, prophet by the name of Isaiah at the time of Abraham. Alright, so he's going to have the burning bush experience. And by the way, uh, it is fascinating, just as a side note, when Joseph Smith had the vision uh, in the sacred grove, he will give about four different versions of that experience depending on who he's writing to. So each version has details that the other one doesn't have. But in one of those that I think is most prominent, he talks about the fact that he was kneeling, he, he's, try, he's struggling with Satan. Then it says that he looks up and he sees fire coming out of heaven. And now that's an interesting thing. You're going to watch it come. Then he says it gets to the trees and he saw this fire and he was surprised that nothing was consumed. He expected that the fire, the celestial fire, would consume the trees. Does that give you some insight into what Moses has seen at the burning bush? That there, there's a surrounding fire around the bush. He's surprised that the, the bush is not consumed. What's he really doing here? Yeah, he's seeing the Lord. This is really a personal visit with the Savior surrounded by fire. This isn't like he's talking to a bush that's on fire. Now, so we get that one. Now he's going to get his call. Uh, by the way, uh, and he says, what's, what's his name? Uh, God says unto Moses, tell Israel, because they're going to want a sign that you're really the guy. Tell them, I am that I am. I am that I am. <laughs> Is that the name that, that, Joseph, uh, that Moses used telling the children of Israel the name of God? No. This one simply says, I exist. I'll just give you a hint. That's, this isn't the name he said. This is who sent me. He didn't say, he said his name is I am. Okay, now, we've got 20 minutes. Now. Uh, let's see. So here's, here's verse 4. Is this the Bible or is this the... This is the Bible. I know. I confused you a little bit. All the rest of this has been the Bible. Just that one little section was the inspired version. I know I'm jumping around. I'm sorry. It's like, why do we put in all the names of so-and-so in there? Wouldn't it help? And then they leave out. Oh, I know. Okay. Okay, so, Moses is going to have this discussion with the Lord that says, I'm not that great speaker. They're not going to believe me. I'm just a shepherd guy. And uh, listen to what the Lord says to him. Ah, well, okay. 
Moses answered and says, They will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared to thee. And look at how the Lord answers that. The Lord said unto him, <coughs> What is that that thou hast in thy hand? And he says, A rod. Ding. <laughs> Cast it on the ground. Uh, it became a serpent. Moses fled before it. Oh my gosh. Um, and then take it by the tail. Uh, and it becomes a rod again. Uh, why a serpent? It's a pretty great trick. But it's also symbolic of the Savior. You have that power. That's why, remember, Moses is going to do the same thing with the brazen serpent. He's going to put those out there. With the hand, a rod, cast it down. All right. Now. And it came to pass that they will not believe thee. Oh, he's also going to put his hand in his, in his cloak, pull it out of his white lepers, put it back in, come back out, it's clean. There are going to be two signs that he's going to have. That the rod turns into a snake. But more importantly, he has the rod. It's the guy with the rod. That, that should, is a tradition dating back to when Joseph died. It's the guy with the rod. Eight, and it shall come to pass that they will not believe thee, nor hearken to thy voice of the first sign. They will believe the voice of the latter sign, and it shall come to pass... Uh, if they do not believe these two signs, hearken unto thy voice, thou shalt take the water out of the river, put on dry land, it will become blood. So I'm going to give you some signs for them to follow. Now, uh, he, Moses, remember how we keep talking about the Old Testament, these people are so human. So is Moses completely on board now? Moses has one more still concern. That is speech. I get the sign things, Lord. But if you heard me talk lately, I have some kind of a speech impediment. I don't know if he stuttered. But, but he just could not get the path. Okay, I get it. I get the signs. But I'm still doubting. I'm not very good with speaking. And Moses said unto the Lord, Oh, I'm not eloquent. Therefore neither hast thou sent, spoken unto thy servant, but I'm slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Who else do we know says this? Joseph. Enoch. I'm but a lad and all the people hate me. My mother. Now, think about that next time you're asked to speak in sacrament. <laughs> well, I'm not as good a speaker as blah, blah, blah. But if you get up and you speak with a humble heart, does that move people? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because the Spirit takes over. Okay? And, and the Lord says, Who made thy mouth? Who made man's mouth? Who maketh the dumb or deaf? But okay, I tell you what. I tell you what. Um, I, I will give you uh, verse 14. Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. I will give you Aaron. All right, all right, all right. You got the rod, but I will give you Aaron because he speaks well. Now, here's the, here's the commandment. 
17. Thou shalt take this rod in thy hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. Moses now goes to Jethro. I will pray thee. And, uh, and so he says, don't worry, the people that tried to kill you are, are now gone. Now, I think... Here's, here's one of the great lessons that I want to take out of today's. Here's the principle. Verse 20. And Moses took his wife and his sons and sent them upon an ass. And he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hands. Now. How long have, has, Israel, or has Israel been in Egypt? At this point now over 400 years. Are they in dire bondage? Yes. He's killing off their, their sons. They are in desperate straits. They are looking for and praying for deliverance. They are anxious to be delivered. They're praying for it. And who does the Lord send? An old man, a donkey, a small family, and a stick. Here's your deliverance. An old man and a stick. Now, are there have been have there been times in your life when it just feels like there is nowhere to turn? And you just feel like you are surrounded about and there's nothing you can do to get you out of your circumstance. When that happens, let me ask you, who might you be looking for? Somebody didn't Yes. Who is he likely to send? An old man and a stick. <laughs> yes. In other words, the Lord always delivers us, but he delivers us in his way not in the way that we have imagined. Right, so, so Israel at that time is under bondage of the, the Romans, and now I'm going to send a babe. And, and even as he grows older, who's he going to send? A Galilean from Nazareth. Here's, a, here's this guy, and, and Nazareth at that point is a, it's a stone quarry. <coughs> More the fact that, that the Savior was a carpenter, but more than that, he was a stonemason. Because they worked in stone in Nazareth. So he's going to send this raw bone guy to say, here is your salvation. And the salvation is going to be different than what you think. If we are struggling in our life, who might the Lord send to you? It might be a visiting teacher. Who else? Sometimes it'll be a kid that'll just be so profound. Okay? Who else? Oh, grandmas are good at that. Grandmas are really good at that. That might be our salvation. Yeah, 
Sometimes just a talk from a general authority. You were expecting this, and here, and if your heart is open, and here comes this talk, you go, oh. 18-year-old. It could be an 18-year-old flaky kid with a name tag. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a shocker? I'm expecting to get help, but I want it to be a Mormon. Your spouse. And it turns out that you hear something, or you're aware of something, or or a good person that you're talking with suddenly gives you knowledge and understanding that is your deliverance. I think we have to be careful when we're needing deliverance. That if your heart is open, you will know the sign. So what will be the sign given you when your deliverer shows up? Stick. <laughs> Could be the sick. What is the sign that, that you know that you're being delivered? Peace. The spirit. The peace. Yeah, you're going to get your, that own feeling. Not the burning bush, but the burning heart. Right. That's the deliverance. And even sometimes you say a week or two weeks later or a month later, wait a minute, when I was with this person in a way, didn't it feel... Did it, wait a minute, when I heard that talk, did not my heart burn within me? Or when I had this discussion with a neighbor, yeah. did it not smart when answered? Right. Drop the resolution. Yeah. Or a lot of times I think you're asked to go and do something that seems really odd at that time, and that's your answer. Is there a service or a different calling or something totally out of your comfort zone? And you're like, this is taking me in the opposite direction of where I want to go. Does that make sense? And then you're present. <coughs> I needed deliverance. I didn't need to be called as Relief Society president. <laughs> what was that? I, I needed this, and you called me to the primary. Or I needed this... And you get seminary teacher? Yeah, I love that because the deliverance is going to be different than what you think. But if your heart is open, I think sometimes you may not recognize it right away, but you might look at it later and go, that was it. God said that. Look at verse 24. Yeah. Explain that. <laughs> I don't have an answer for that one. It, it is kind of an odd verse that it turns out that uh, his son is not circumcised and Zipporah is going to go ahead and circumcise him on the spot. She's not happy about it. There's something in the It's not very helpful. I looked that up too. Yeah. So I guess the answer is I don't have a lot. That one I don't know. It's kind of a weird verse to me. Thou art a bloody husband. I'm not sure. Okay. But that the Lord was going to kill him. Yeah, that one doesn't make any sense to me either. It's one of those things that doesn't ring quite true to me. So I'm, I'm withholding judgment on that. I don't know. Okay, in the last, in the last minute or two, let, let me just finish with this then. The Lord said unto Aaron, uh, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So they're going to go and they're going to have a personal PPI where Moses is now going to call Aaron to be his spokesperson. And Moses told Aaron all the words which the Lord had sent him and all the signs. So he's going to get the signs. Not to convince Aaron, but to strengthen his 
conviction that Moses is who he said he is. Okay? And Moses and Aaron went and gathered all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people and the people believed. So there were signs and I think it's like, and my guess is all of that probably included the words of Joseph that says, remember that there would be a man and his name would be Moses and he would have a rod and here's the rod. This isn't just any rod. It has the ability to do marvelous things because it is the rod of God. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, they looked upon their affliction, they bowed their heads. And worshipped. Now I believe it's in... Oh, yeah, let me finish with this. I'm jumping ahead two chapters. The Lord said unto Moses, Thou shalt see what I will do for Pharaoh with a strong hand. Uh, God spake unto Moses, and I said, I am the Lord. And and he's going to say unto him, And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Joseph, and unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty, and, and using the Joseph Smith translation, and was my name Jehovah, not known to them. In other words, I identified myself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as Jehovah. So, what name did he tell the children of Israel which God had sent him? Jehovah. I am was like, I'm coming. I'm, I'm, I exist. I'm here. I've forgotten you. But Jehovah is my name. That's who was the sin. And they knew it, and Moses knew it. Okay. Um, so what we, will, what we will do next week then, uh, you're going to find, as we start getting into the, how do we convince Pharaoh to let him go? There's going to be a series of plagues, and each one of the plagues corresponds to one of the gods of Egypt. He will literally rebut every god of... uh, Well, not every god, because there was hundreds of gods. But the main gods in Egypt, there will be a plague that will match each one of those things. Uh, And God had already... Jehovah had already told Moses that I will be... Israel is my firstborn, and if he does not let them go, I will slay his firstborn. That by the shedding of the firstborn, you will be out, taken out of captivity and out of bondage. Think about the symbolism of that. By the shedding of the firstborn, I will bring Israel out of bondage. That's, that is the prophecy. And it is the sign. I bury my testimony that as covenant Israel... And, and as literal Israel for most of us. These are our people. These are, these are the covenants and we are supposed to remember the promises made to our fathers. Critical that we do that. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen.
And we thank thee for giving us Brother Hinton for preparing this spiritual feast. May we please take it, chew it, devour it, digest it, and may we each retain the part of this message that we need. If thou pleases thee, Heavenly Father, with thy guardian angels around us as we travel to our final destinations, that no harm will come to us. We say this in the name of your merciful Son, even Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Have a great week.